Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin, and uh, today's a great show. Today we're going to talk about creativity. Actually, we're going to talk about more than creativity. We are going to talk about super creativity and artificial intelligence. And while that may seem as a bit of a dichotomy to some, how do you have artificial intelligence? How do you have creativity? Because one seems computer, one seems people-oriented, it's going to make a lot of sense because our guest today is a great friend of mine. Um, where We've actually had an opportunity recently to have this discussion. I've also had an opportunity to watch him on stage because we were at the same conference speaking at a customer experience conference in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, very recently, of course, these podcasts are evergreen, so depending on when you're listening to this, <clears throat> but a, a chance to really sort of delve into an area that I hadn't much and sort of I think my understanding of artificial intelligence and how we're related to business and business processes was was very antiquated. And so our guest today helped me tremendously in terms of get a sense of, of where the current thinking is, where the current work is, and we're going to let him elaborate on all of that. But first, let me do a sort of formal introduction for him as well. Uh, his name is James Taylor, and yes, you may recognize the name, but it is not that James Taylor. It is my, my friend James Taylor from Scotland, a dapper individual. He's an award-winning speaker, an internationally recognized leader in creativity and innovation. For over 20 years, he's been teaching entrepreneurs, ed- educators, corporate leaders, writers, rock stars, how to build innovative organizations and design the creative life that they deserve. After advising some of the world's most creative individuals and companies, ranging from Grammy award-winning musical artists, best-selling authors to Silicon Valley startups and innovative multinationals, James designed a framework for creativity that helps individuals and organizations achieve exponential growth. And he's been doing this for a long time. His clients have included Apple, Yamaha, Sony, heard of them, I've heard of them, uh, Johnson Johnson, as well as profile, um, high-profile one-on-one coaching clients, He's an in-demand creativity expert. He's been featured in countless media outlets, and he was even the subject of a 30-minute BBC documentary about his life and work. And so we're going to talk about creativity, super creativity, with my friend James Taylor. James, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, David. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you and talking. I know last time you mentioned we, we, we were together, we were in Bogota, Colombia. We had a very uh, interesting experience in a restaurant, which we're going to have to, which involved a Involves chocolate. We, well, we, we, we might get into that at some point. Well, I think we, I think we should. I think absolutely. I think people find that fascinating. Um, what was interesting there was not only was it like a three-hour dinner, um, but it wasn't driven necessarily by the conversation, but by the remarkable experience. And we had actually made a point of going to this particular restaurant because of the the renowned experience. So we'll talk about that if we have some time towards the end. But talk to us about uh, for those who are who are listening. Um, James, help them understand sort of your your mindset, your message, and how that has evolved. Because I think there's incredible relevance, not only to businesses today, but how things are changing rapidly and how we're going to do business in the future. Yeah, so both you and I have this amazing opportunity to go and speak all around the world, all different types of industries, different sizes of companies. But it doesn't matter where they are or you know what kind of business they're in they're all struggling with change, with huge amounts of change just going now, often driven by technological disruption. 
that we're seeing. Um, and uh, the business I've, I've come from previously was no different. I worked in technology and kind of Silicon Valley and then previous to that in the entertainment and music industry. But something I, I, I saw there was a, there was also something interesting happened because a lot of the time people think, well, what is the skill they need to develop in themselves and their teams, their people for this age, this fourth industrial revolution. And they think it's all purely technical related. It's very much, you know, we need to understand AI and machine learning and robotics and internet of things. And that's all important. I, I talk about that in my speeches, but actually what they've found in the world economic forum did an amazing study on this. And she, they found that, there's one skill that's going to be more needed than any other in this age of artificial intelligence. And that skill is your creativity. Which um, seems a bit of a dichotomy, doesn't it? Exactly. Because, and, because we're, we're told that, that the new changes, we have to get up to speed in terms of our technical, um, technical knowledge and our ability to, to work with, um, with, specific processes yeah. but work so your contention is to work better with intel, uh, artificial intelligence we need to boost our creativity explain that yeah so i mean imagine when electricity came in uh, you and i went around at that point thankfully but yeah. uh, but when that first that first came in obviously the electricity companies made a lot of money but actually all think about all the businesses that were created on the back of electricity and i think what we're seeing now is we're seeing this this transition going on from uh, you know, artificial intelligence is being created. These, these algorithms that exist now, we can do very cool things, but we're now moving to an age of implementation. And the skill set that's needed there is actually more around creativity, entrepreneurial mindset, innovative mindset. Um, for example, the other day, uh, there was Jack Ma, who's the founder of Alibaba, the world's sure. largest B2B marketplace. His company is one of the, the real pioneers in artificial intelligence, what's going on just now. Uh, he was asked a question, what skills should we be investing in, in our young people and also in our organizations, our teams? And he said, listen, don't bother competing with machines on tasks that can do better, faster, and cheaper. You have to focus on that one advantage that you have as a human, your ability to create, to innovate, to ask questions. So in the same way, a little bit, you know, we saw maybe 15 or let's say 2000 when you saw you know, web, websites, everyone was going online. And that, I remember at that point, everyone was saying, everyone needs to learn how to to uh, to code and to code right. in terms of doing website design. Everyone right. needs to do a website designer. Great, and we we needed website designers absolutely. Just like we not, we need um, uh, people in terms of working on the AI on the technical side of AI. But actually, think about all the entrepreneurs, all the business people, all the customer service, but all the other things that came on the back of that. And so my contention is the skill that we really need to be focusing on is the creativity piece, the innovation piece, because the technology is coming. It's really what we do and how we apply that that's more important. Right, but, but I think that's the, that's the important point, I think, for our listeners as well. It's not about that we have to be good at the artificial intelligence and technology. Is what does this afford us? What does this facilitate us? You talked about electricity um, creating a whole new you know, category of industries or multiple categories of industries that were now allowed and facilitated because we had the ability to have power and, and light during the evening hours and all of that as well. Um, in watching your presentation in Bogota and, and thinking about that as well in terms of artificial intelligence, it's going to open up a whole new, um, multiple new categories and revenue streams and everything else. It's how do we apply it? That, that to me seems where the real opportunity is. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it doesn't matter what your industry is. I would be constantly thinking, 
how can I apply AI to this? How can, and, and there are some industries that are obviously much further ahead on this than others. In the financial services, I speak to a lot of financial services. Um, they're very you know, advanced. Uh, tomorrow I'm flying out to Berlin to speak in Berlin for one of the big legal, global legal firms. They're obviously using AI in terms of due diligence, um, in terms of trademark, you know, patent uh, litigation, things like that. So these industries are pretty far ahead. But if you ask most companies, even big companies, what, what are you doing around AI machine learning? How are you implying? Often they'll say something, oh, it's something that we're, we're looking at. Or right. they'll say, oh, 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 we're thinking about piloting something. That's normally what you're starting to hear. And the, the, the thing that's going to happen is if, if these companies don't really think about how to utilize these technologies and put their creativity, their innovative kind of mindsets on, then competitors are just going to come along and just eat their lunch. I'll, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I think one of the ones I shared the other day uh, in Bogota was about this young legal firm that's just started, I think in California. Right. And there was a young lawyer. He trained, as a, uh, he trained first of all as a computer scientist. His name was Robert Huang. And then after that, he went and trained as a lawyer and he became an associate in a law firm. And what he would do is during the day, he would do his law legal work. And at night, he would go home and he'd program an AI to do the work that he'd done during the day. And by the end of the first year, it essentially replaced himself. And then what he did is he went and launched his own legal firm. There's three partners. He's the only human partner in that firm. The other two's AIs. One specializes in legal um, uh, mergers and acquisitions. The other one specializes in intellectual property litigation. So super efficient <laughs> company. Uh, and you know, the, the, in terms of, I think we're going to get to a stage where we're going to say, if, if you do not have an AI at some point in the process, um, you're going to be devaluing that company because there's going to be more risk in it for you. So yeah. certainly when it comes to things like the law, for example. But so let me, let me do, me, do me a favor here. Let us take a, a couple of steps back because I think for some people, because you live in this realm every day and because I've had a chance to, to see you and I've, and I've heard other speakers as well, <clears throat> I think I have a, a basic knowledge of what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, artificial intelligence, AI. Um, but I think for a lot of people, we may be on chapter four of a book that they never started in chapter one. So, so give, me, give me a couple of minutes and back up a little bit. Talk to, talk to us about what AI really is. Because the, the manifestation for us as consumers oftentimes is maybe it's just a chat bot. Maybe it's something else that we don't realize there isn't another person on the other end. When they talk about, I'll give you an example. Um, we've all heard so many of the prognosticators talk about that a third of the jobs that exist today won't exist in 10 years or something. And everybody assumes that's because we will be replaced by a machine that will lift a box or something. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's analytical work. It's others that can be done better and faster by computers. So, so yeah. talk to us a little bit about some of the genesis of AI and what does it really look like in our, in our daily life that we might not identify, oh, that's artificial intelligence, we just thought it was blank. Does yeah. that make sense? So educate us a little bit on yeah, that. Yeah, so I mean, basically, I mean, people have been talking about AI for a long time, 1956, you know, right. the first, you know, talk about artificial intelligence, which is really this idea of a machine doing the kind of complex tasks that we'd normally associate with the human brain. That's really what it's about. It's imitating a, a human in that way. Um, so that was like the genesis of AI. And it's gone through, it's like hype periods, like the Gartner hype cycle. And then it's gone through, like no one talks about it. And it, it was pretty much, it was not being talked about apart from geeks for a long, long time. Right. And then something came along called big data. And big data is the food that artificial intelligence 
lives on. It needs the food. And we have now data everywhere. Data is flowing all the time. So suddenly you had this interesting time of processing power coming together and also all this data that was there as well that it could feed on. It could do some really cool things. So a, a very basic example is I have you know, an iPhone and I could go into my photos. And I, if you go and just scroll down and you just type in the word on your photos, uh, cat, it's going to show me all the pictures of my cat on the phone. That's because it's uploading your photos on your phone to the cloud. There's an AI that's looking at all of these and it's identifying which ones are cat, which ones look like a cat. So that's a very right. simple example. You, you have AI already on your, your phones just now. Absolutely. Um, we obviously think about you know, things like Alexa and there's, you, know, you could argue whether that's AI or not, but essentially it's about doing human-like things, but machines doing human-like things. And then within that, you get more complexity, things like machine learning, for example, deep learning, reinforcement learning. Uh, but uh, there's no point in kind of going too deep on that. But the, the no, thing- No, but, but, it's, but it's, it's helpful. It's helpful in terms of understanding. Even when people talk about big data, sometimes people are like, they gloss over, nobody wants or you don't understand what that means. And I think that the connection, which, which helped me understand when I, when I saw your presentation as well, is that the more information that you have, the greater predictability in terms of yeah. that outcome. So as we're entering more and more data, uh, it, it's easier for Alexa to get smarter and smarter as she turns on here in my office. <laughs> go back to sleep. So, sorry, um, everyone that's listening to this now, the Alexa's yeah, going to be switching on. Right, but that's okay. I have not, I'm, I'm boring. Um, they can follow me wherever. Uh, but, but the idea with, with that, with the big data, is the more information, the better the next time that the answer will be better. Yeah. And when they, when they realize that, okay, that wasn't quite it, and then they get a more important. In a very short period of time, AI is getting pretty darn good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that already the things we're able to do. Uh, I mean, the one give, story- Give an example, if you will, real quickly. Give the example that you gave. You gave a great example of, um, of radiologists um, reviewing x-rays for um, abnormalities and others. Yeah, I mean, whether it's radiologists or lawyers, uh, you know, the machines, uh, the, the AIs do very well when you have quite structured data traditionally. And so um, let's say f uh, machine learning, which is where they, you give it lots of, uh, example images um, and recognize you say this is a cancerous this image has ca a cancerous cell in it this one doesn't and over time it gets to recognize what that looks like um, now what you see in the case of and in cancer care the the AIs are actually doing a better job than the radio traditional radiographers significantly uh, better they're getting getting high I mean so uh, but that's that's not particularly new in the same case you know with lawyers uh, if you give an AI uh, some non-disclosure agreements to review and you give some of the best lawyers and the best law schools in America some legal agreements to review, the AIs will go through those and spot any of the issues and the problems with a 96% accuracy. The humans will be lucky if they can do 85% accuracy. It will right. take the lawyer on average about nine hours to review those agreements. It will take the AI around 26 seconds. That's the kind of difference we're talking about. It's huge productivity gains. But, and as you said, a lot of people just think, well, it's going to just be about replacing jobs. And there will be a lot of jobs that will disappear. Absolutely, sure. no doubt. But, but this affords us a lot as well, doesn't it? Exactly. And then this is the bit I see, the huge opportunity. Regardless of what field or industry you're in, it's about thinking to yourself, how can I augment what I do 
with these types of technology? Essentially, how can I use these to give our firm or our company or, or me as an individual, as a manager, some superpowers? And I share, you know, in, in that talk I gave the other day, I shared lots of different examples from all different types of industries where you're, you're essentially, you're getting this idea of super creativity, which is augmenting your human creativity, your ability to generate and develop ideas with technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics, for example. Um, and that's where I see the big opportunity. That's, that's where it's a really exciting time for me. I'm not interested in the Terminator, you know, they're going to come kill us. I'm, that's, that's really not interesting. I'm not interested in the, when is uh, an AI going to be as smart as, as a human being and be able to do anything we need to do. I'm more interested in how it affects companies and people that are in work today. Well, it's, it's not only how we can get better at what we do, but how we can redirect our efforts yeah. towards the things that really move our organization forward. So, so talk to us about some of those ideas. How do we create that, that super creativity? How do we manifest it and, and implement it within our businesses? Where do you see some real trends going right now? I mean, it's, it's so many different areas. I mean, I'm quite interested in uh, the whole Internet of Things at the moment, for example. Like just now, I'm sitting on um, a Herman Miller chair. Probably you see a lot of these chairs all the time in offices. Uh, Herman Miller Aeron chairs, very comfortable, sure. very good. They're about $1,000 each or something. So they're not cheap chairs. Um, and I was talking to someone yesterday who worked to the, does on the creativity side with Herman Miller and their design agency. And, but now what they're doing is they, they first thought, how can we make these Herman Miller chairs smarter? How can we use some of these technologies like internet of things? So they're communicating with us. So when we sit down, it recognizes our body posture and it actually helps us sit better and, and, and work for longer. And what they actually found is that they started doing some research and working with like what we call human centered design. They actually found what it would be better is not the chair, it's the desk or the table. So what they have now is Herman Miller has an app where when you walk up to your desk, doesn't matter if you're in a co-working space, wherever you are, when you put that, your phone on the desk, it recognizes it's you. Also, it can recognize your physical shape and who you are. The, the, the desk then raises or lowers based upon who you are because it recognizes who you are. You sit down. It also knows how you're physically moving, what is weak and what is strong for you, the Love kind it. of work that you're doing. And, it's, and it's, it'll give you prompts. It'll say, okay, it, you, the, it starts to raise because it's recognizing that, you know, you should be sitting for that long. You maybe should be standing at this point. Um, so imagine that, you know, multiplied by, let's say a company, you're going to buy a thousand chairs, a thousand desks in your office. Uh, and you, if you can get that, just a small productivity gain, what we call marginal gains from your employees who can work better, their productivity levels increase. They reduce the chances of workplace injuries that's a perfect example of human creativity, ingenuity, innovation being paired with some of these technologies in this case. Well, and, and then it becomes a marketable competitive advantage, doesn't it? Yeah. So when you start being able to gather that much data and be able to extrapolate, it affects the design because they have so much data about what, what's working, what isn't, how people are sitting. Um, they can affect better design. It, it becomes uh, also something that not only is there a great feature that they can offer when they're marketing, but the other thing that it does is they're able to, to, they're beyond proof of concept. So what I'm seeing a lot with organizations is everybody's got a claim. We're, we're bigger, better, faster, tastier, whatever else. Mm. Anybody who can come in with data to back that up 
you know, there, there's a lot of anecdotal things where people would say, when you sit better, you're more productive, whatever. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. But you go in with data. Somebody like Herman Miller can go into an organization because it's not a cheap chair, it's a premium chair, and be able to go to an organization and say, here's how you justify the, the greater expenditure because your productivity, which we have, that we have taken data from X number of organizations, we've been able to anonymize it, here's the trends. It, it gives us credibility, it gives us gravitas, doesn't it? The more yeah. we know, the more big data, um, from a marketing perspective, it, it, it's more than just, yes, yeah, says you. Yeah. It's no, here's the data to back it up. And they have a marketable competitive advantage and, and it justifies a premium price point, yeah, doesn't it? And also I think there's a little bit of a generational thing going on there <clears throat> as well, where I'm, I'm not a millennial. I'm just, I just before the millennials, whatever that, that one was, the Gen X's, I think they're called. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm in, I'm in that area, but a lot of ways I actually think quite like a, a millennial. And one of the big changes I noticed between say um, baby boomers or, or Gen X's and millennials, uh, my gen older generations would have said, okay, the idea of the chair, that's great. I can understand about having better and it's better for your well-being and I can get right. all that stuff. Millennials like, show me. <laughs> show that's me right. The older ones just say, that sounds like, that sounds logical. That sounds logical. Like, yeah. well, show me the data. Show me the proof. Show me the proof. Uh, because we are also very used to now of you know fake news and fake stats and things like that. So we're, sure. we, we're I think we're less trusting in some ways. And, and understandably so. Mm. And so this does, it gives a great opportunity for me. I, I like the idea of, of anything that, because I'm a longtime marketing guy and, and there's so many bogus measurements, you know, as public relations firm, advertising agencies, others have done what I call the weight measurement. Look how much paper we produce. Look how many, you know, eyes or even online, look how many likes. Okay. How did that translate into something profitable? Uh, the nice thing about big data, the internet of things, for those who are, who are listening as well, if you are less familiar with, you'll see it a lot as IOT, internet of things. It's basically a chip in everything and everything is going to communicate with everything. And you're seeing some of these media conglomerates right now buying up the ring video doorbell. They want to, they want to control your front door. They want to control your television. They want to control, not because they're nefarious sources wanting to control our lives. It's just smart business being vertically integrated, but the more it talks to each other, the more your, your refrigerator talks to your phone that you know when you're out of something, our lives are going to be very, very different, James, aren't they? Yeah. And it's funny that that hotel um, in, in Colombia, I remember waking up the morning because I was a little bit jet, I think like we were both probably a little bit jet lagged. We'd flown in and yeah. I remember waking up maybe six or seven in the morning and I immediately do what I do, which is I say, Hey Alexa, play BBC Radio 4. And nothing happened because I wasn't quite awake. And I said, oh, I forgot I'm in a dumb hotel room. Right. Because my, my home environment is... You just talk to Alexa and she, she answered for you right now. <laughs> She's like BBC Radio 4. You can't say that word. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, um, but we've become... But see, but you're a little more probably tech savvy, probably more incorporated in your life because this is your life's work. But um, there is a transition period. It's not like we're going to wake up 18 months from now and everybody's going to be connected to everything. We still have a lot of legacy products. But talk about the shift. And talk about those who are in business. I mean, it's not like you can go to you know, a store, Radio Shack or something. I think they're out of business. And I would like to buy an artificial intelligence to boost my business. Yeah. How does it practically integrate with our businesses today? And for those who are looking to dip their toe in the water, what are some of the ways where they can see immediate benefit? Um, what will it take to do that? And what's the terminology 
uh, for someone who might think, you know, I can't go buy an AI. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So there's different ways you can do it. For example, uh, a lot of the big companies like IBM, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, they all have their own AI uh, platforms where you can essentially just go and use them. They almost like built them as modules. And I, I think I mentioned um, one of my talks, IBM's personality insights, which gives you an insight into the personality of your potential customer. And that's just something you can just buy off the shelf. It's, you don't have to know anything about AI. Just say, I need to Oh, this is what I want to do, and you use it. That's one way. And then you have the individual companies themselves. Um, for example, uh, in the world of the law, um, legal firms, uh, Luminance, I think, is one of them. And what they will do is they'll go through all of your legal agreements that you have, and they'll spot all the problems, all the issues that are going to come with it. They'll even, and some of these systems will even tell you what chances you have of winning a particular case as well. So these right. are just like off, the, but these are once again all off the shelf. You don't have to be an engineer to do this. I'll give you another example. Um, in the world of sales and marketing, uh, I think we've both, we've both had experience of, you know, where you, leads vary so much, leads that come into you. You might have someone that contacts you, comes to your website, they're, they're interested. You might meet someone at a conference, for example. Um, they, they just, and if you're a good salesperson, you, the question you're always thinking is, what is the quality of this lead? Right. I, I don't want to get on a call with someone if they're not ever going to buy this. Right. Thing. Not the best right. use of your time. It's not best use of my time. So you have a thing now called conversational artificial intelligence, conversational AI. There's companies called like Conversica, for example, is one was based in Foster City in California. And they're being used to sell everything from $20 cell phone plans to you know, $400 million super yachts. And what that does, let's say you get an inquiry comes into your website. Let's say you're a, a kitchen manufacturer. You get that inquiry that comes into your website. Hey, I'm interested. We're interested in getting a bidding for a kitchen. Immediately, what would happen is the an AI uh, sales assistant would start having conversations with this person, usually via email. It can be done with a chat bot. And just and what they're looking to do is they're trying to see based upon the intent of the perspective, the prospect how likely they are to actually want to buy. If they're at the right stage in the process or maybe they're just fishing around needing information. And what they will do is automatically direct those sales calls to the human people <coughs> to do the sales calls when they're, they're a much hotter sale. And if it's not like that, this person really just needs more information at this point, then there's a different route they would go to. This means that that, sale, that human salesperson essentially augmenting themselves by having an AI sales assistant. And this, that type of technology. It's like, it's like doing the sales triage yes. with artificial intelligence. But let's have a conversation about this because mm. I so struggle with this. Uh, <laughs> um, on the positive side, because here's what was interesting. When we were just in Bogota, Colombia, speaking for this customer experience conference, I speak, as you do, around the world. In my mind, customer experience is how are we experiencing? How are we better engaging with people? How are we over there, as they're talking business process organizations, BPOs, yeah. for them, they define customer experience as how are we most efficiently. I mean, the, the vendors there were people selling headsets and cubicles, and it's about artificial intelligence. And for me, I mean, there's, there's such a dichotomy between a good experience and doing it with artificial intelligence. Now, you and I differ a little bit, but I'll be honest, you know more about this than I do, but I'm coming at it from sort of the consumer advocate perspective. When I speak with my book, Why Customers Leave, it's sort of a, a warning shot to organizations. Be careful with the automation. Be careful with processes that put everybody into a bucket because you're losing the opportunity for customization and individuality and flexibility. 
But you and I have both seen, and you know more, demonstrations of AI conversations, verbal conversations that Google has done that freaking blow me away <laughs> in terms of somebody calling to make an appointment to get their hair cut. And they don't realize they're not talking to a real person. And no matter what this person says, you know, can you, how about Friday, Wednesday at seven? Uh, you know, Wednesday doesn't work. Oh God, what I could do? How about like next Thursday? Okay, next Thursday is good. Uh, what time can you? And they have no idea that they're talking and this is going to get better and better, isn't it? Yeah, and, and in fact, I think a speaker that we both know, Steve Shapiro, I think I saw him talk about something the other day where he'd actually been called up like with a robo-dialer. Uh, he's, he's based in Florida. And, and he said, I actually, I got off the phone with it and I actually did wonder, was that a human or was that a machine I was talking to? I couldn't actually... And that's the ideal, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and so you're having that. Now, I think it all depends. I think it depends on the product, the context in which you're, you're, you're doing it. I know in the, the, the work that, that I do anyway, and what we, we both do together, a key thing that a client wants, if, they, if you have an inbound inquiry coming in, is uh, speed. They want to, you know, right. and we're, we're always looking at ways like how can we respond back to that person as quickly as possible. Now, in some cases, it is appropriate just to do that very quick message going back. But actually, what the thing I'm more interested in is, being able to quickly, as you say, triage, take the temperature, and I want to be able to switch modalities. And if it is someone, but, effect, but effectively do it, right? Yeah, I, I want to jump on that call. I want to pick up that phone in, as quickly as possible. I, I do it all the time from airports, backstage, wherever, because I want to have that human, the human conversation. Well, and you and I know that we're more, much more likely to convert if we do it. There's such a fear that I have uh, of being triaged by artificial intelligence. And of course I might be being overly dismissive of this, mm -hmm. but I don't think I respond well to it. Mm -hmm. But some of the demonstrations that I've seen have been remarkable. And it's not yeah. that automated voice, robo calls, all that stuff that we all bristle at. Um, it is getting better, isn't it? Yeah, and I think a perfect example, just before I came on this call, we had an inquiry that came in and, and as, as a, someone's been speaking for a little while, I can immediately sense, I don't think this person has the budget. You know, you know, right. there's little we, telltale we signs and things yeah. like that. You get a little sense. But actually an AI is probably even better at judging that because what an AI would do is it would see the email coming in. It would immediately go and look at the LinkedIn profile of that person. It would know the seniority of that person. It would, it would know whether yes. that person is most likely to convert because they have a budget ability or, or something like that. And they're in an industry that was like to do this and all these various variables. And, and, and some of these are what we call weak signals, not strong sig signals. As humans, we're very good at picking up strong signals. Right. Someone's going to convert. Um, but an AI is much better at picking up all those little weak signals. For example, uh, the, the, you know, a weak signal would be something like when that person is writing that email to you inquiring, how is the grammar? being right. how's it no it's, it's a strange little thing but uh you can often tell am i am i dealing what what type of person am i dealing with here just by by the grammar in which they're, they're speaking how what's that level of conversation that's going on there so that's where the ai can actually but what are the factors i mean does it does it would it impact like what time of, of day are they doing it from their office or are they doing it yep. from their mobile device um, yep. what is, what's a better predictor? I mean, you and I both know as speakers, if somebody uses the word exposure, you know, they're likely not looking to pay. Yes. Um, and so, so 
do we as humans enter as much of those things or do they examine, here's the last 1,000 inquiries, here are the 27 that converted and look for common elements in all of those to create a greater level of predictability. And then once, you, once it is, is recognized, what are those commonalities? Then what you can do is with using AI related to Google ads or Facebook ads, you say, listen, just go and find me. Just show my ad to a thousand people who are identical to the people that have just booked me. Just there you go. And you're doing that right now, aren't you? And we're, and we're doing this just now. And that's, that's, a, that's a technology anyone could use just now with your Google ads. You know, it's getting to the point now. I remember starting and doing Google ads know, 10 years ago or something. And you'd have to sit there and every day you'd be on and you'd be tweaking things. And it was a total pain. Uh, now, really, all I do is we just tell it. I don't know. My assistant does it. He just says, this is the, this is the type of person we want. Here's our previous list of previous clients. Um, here's the names and the, here's the email addresses. This is how much we're willing to pay to acquire that conversation or, or that, that client. Go. <laughs> you know, right. and it just goes and, and finds them. You don't have to, doesn't, you know, you don't have to say whether they're male, female, whatever the, the job and, is. And they're getting better. I mean, this, this really is Google's Facebook's business model. Yes. It's, it's having enough data when, when, when you're seeing congressional um, oversight and others looking to limit the amount of their whole effectiveness is predicated on as much data as possible, not just so that they can be better predictive. Cause, cause we grew up in an industry. I remember when I was in marketing for, for 20, 30 years is there was that old line that says, I know that I wait half my marketing dollars for it. I just don't know which half. Yeah. Big data tells you which half, doesn't it? It helps you target much more effectively. Um, I, I, this is this, you and I could talk about this forever. I want to make sure that you have an opportunity in the 15 minutes or so left that we've got left. Talk to us about um, about creativity. What does that look like in terms of how do we how do we bolster it? How do we boost it? How do we manifest it within our organizations and implement in a way that that creates some level of competitive advantage? Yes, yeah, so we often hear about the two phrases used together: creativity and innovation, and they're often confused with each other. So the best way to think about it is creativity is bringing new ideas to the mind; innovation is bringing new ideas to the world. Uh, creativity and innovation, they're just different sides of the same coin. Without creativity, there is no innovation, no new products and services. So creativity is essentially the engine of innovation. Right. So that, now we know that. We say, okay, so innovation is more process-driven and creativity is often slightly more humanistic, let's say. Uh, so what we, what we start to do is the companies I work with, I talk to them about these four types of creativity. Uh, I call them tips for short. So team creativity, that's about teaching your team how to be, um, to be collaborate more creatively, how to break down some of those silos we were speaking about earlier. I had to develop a creative culture in an organization. Individual creativity is about teaching a series of tools that we teach and we do workshops on this as well on how to better generate and develop ideas from anyone regardless of where they're sitting in the organization. Peer creativity is when you come together with your peers, often at conferences or events of some sort, uh, you know, retreats, uh, in order to share, discuss, debate, challenge each other's ideas. And then finally, super creativity is where you augment human creativity with artificial intelligence. And I would say when companies come to me, they, they to ask me usually to come in and keynote or a, their conference or their, a meeting or an event, they're either coming from saying, you know, we want to develop the creativity of our people, we want to be more known as a more creative company, or 
they're saying we know all these changes going on with things like AI and we're wanting how best to to adapt and be ready for this and deal with this just now. And so I, I can go through both of those worlds. One's a bit more futuristic. The one's a bit more humanistic, really. Um, so what I tend to do is I, I come in, I, I'm often brought in as the, the keynote speaker, the speaker conference, I share strategies, ideas, stories, case studies, uh, which I have this amazing opportunity. I've interviewed 600 of the world's most creative individuals now from some of the big companies to, you know, just small entrepreneurs and, and artists, for example. Um, that's one way. And then the other way is sometimes the, the client will say, listen, like for example, the other day, the other day I was brought in by a, uh, a large family business grouping. They have a conglomerate in property, all different types of things. And they said, listen, we're getting together a hundred of our, our top team members and family members. And we'd like you to come to fly to the South of France to come and do a one day workshop. Fantastic. I love that. What an, what an amazing job we get to do. Yep. Uh, so the, those are the two things I tend to do is around either the workshop style or, or the keynote style. And uh, but it's all really about unlocking the creative potential. And I'll, I'll give you one very, very tactical thing that happened the other day. I was working with a bank in, uh, in uh, Latin America and we, we did a, an exercise. I showed them how to, how to better generate ideas. And from this one, one table, they came up with something in about 20 minutes after I taught them how to tool, showed them how to do it. And then I said, okay, now let's focus on the challenge that you have. In their case, they had a challenge how to do approvals of loans that are between $1 million and $5 million because they had to go through a certain type of process. Sure. By the end of that 20 minutes, they had come up with some very innovative solutions, but very low tech ways of doing it which will probably save them about $400,000 this year, annually. Right. Very simple. 20 but, minutes. But it's also, it's taking time to have some of those meaningful conversations, taking a step back and working on the business instead of in the business. Because here's the thing that you and I both know, because we're traveling around the world, we're working with organizations. These conversations are happening and they're happening with organizations in rooms around the world. And I'll talk to audiences and say, listen, while we're sitting in this room, sharing and learning, growing our business, there are people meeting in other rooms who are trying to put you out of business. And it's not that they're, they're antagonistic. They're just trying to feed their families. Yeah. And so that disruption that we're seeing emerge more and more so, probably facilitated in large part by artificial intelligence and others, which is, which is accelerating the, the speed of some of these creative ideas, right? The reality is they're going to happen anyway. And so the organizations that we work with, our contention is you need to be having these conversations or you're going to be responding to somebody else's innovation. So yeah. the, cre the creative work that you do and the epiphanies that happen in the South of France with their client, they're already happening with other organizations. The question is, are we going to be driving it? For those who are listening right now, the question is, are you going to be driving the innovation or are you going to be responding to it? Right? Because yeah. when it happens to you, we call it disruption right? But if we do it, we call it innovation. It's the same thing. It's just, it's just who's driving it. So, so give us an idea in the couple minutes we have left. What are some of the things that, that might stifle innovation creativity within an organization? So the first one I would say, and this is, it goes to a leadership uh, issue, is often the, the further up you go in an organization, let's say you start as a manager and then you go up and you're now C-suite person, uh, you are expected to have all the answers. And that's a bit of a challenge because one of the, the things about creativity is about getting better asking questions, what we call some of those catalytic questions or more curious questions, deeper, really thoughtful questions, which will have you reassess the issue. 
So one of the things I, I do actually with very senior executives is I get them to reawaken that questioning part of their brain, which has maybe become a little bit sluggish, a little bit out of shape because they've expected to have all the answers. So they're always focused on answering, you know, coming up with, you know, fixing that problem with the answers, but they've got a little bit uh, less good at asking bigger questions and changing some of the questions. I mean, there's a Ed Catmull, it was a wonderful quote he said the other day, who was the founder of, he's the founder of Pixar. He said, more companies, instead of having mission statements, they should have mission questions. Mission statements. Great, great food for great. thought. You know, mission statements are great, you know, because they're about saying, we will be the number one provider in XYZ in this territory. Fine, that's great. Mission questions, if you frame things as a question, how can we be? number one, bro. How can we delight our customers? You know, how can, when you change things into a question, it's suddenly a much more open way of bringing everyone within the organization into finding the answers for that question. Uh, right. So, right. So right. Yeah, but it also, it, it creates the mindset that your job is to discover how to do this. Not necessarily because we, because leaders do get busy, but they get busy with the implementation. They get busy with what Stephen Covey talked about the, the, you know, the, the whirlwind or the tornado of today. We can look at our calendars and they're filled with, with tasks, but taking that time away. And it's something that, that you and I both profess in terms of the work that we do in consulting and speaking is take that time away to, to focus, put your phone on vibrate and let's do the uh, the hard work. Your work, I will tell you, um, we're talking here, um, I should have slated this a couple extra times to James Taylor um, about creativity, about super creativity. And I think what you bring to the market, which is fascinating for me, is, is a lot of people talk about creativity, a lot of people talk about innovation, and there's some phenomenal people in that space. But recognizing how we can leverage artificial intelligence, those um, computer learning, the big data to, to give us the the foundation to do more creative work to take those mundane tasks off our calendar so we can redirect our people towards those creative things and you can we can substitute the word i mean give me some words that substitute for creativity um uh, innovate innovate uh, ingenuity is often ones that we use right you know, we, we hear things like that i mean creativity is one of those words it's like service it's a big word um, right. and, and it's, what do you mean by that? So creativity can be, that's one of the downsides about creativity. It's a little bit, that's why I, I use the idea of super creativity because it's that blend of the, you know, the machine and, and the human part. Right. But it can, it can be brainstorming. It yeah. can be, and, and, and we, we meld that with crowdsourcing. Some of the best work is when we facilitate some of those challenging conversations. Hey, listen, we could talk forever. And the nice thing is we are friends and we will talk at a later time and maybe we'll have you back on the show as well if people want to learn more about you and get in touch with james taylor how do they do that the easiest place and the best place to go is to go to james taylor.me .me. everything's there you can find everything there outstanding and um we will see you at some conference around the road um i want to tell those who are listening the very visible business podcast is sponsored by the customer experience advantage morning huddle your next million dollar idea and the creativity that comes from that will likely come from your own team, but only if you create the space for challenging, powerful internal conversations. You can learn how membership and the customer experience advantage can give you the content and the questions and the tools to facilitate a weekly morning huddle with your team. You can learn more and watch sample video lessons by visiting the six, we're gonna say this slowly, Visit the CX Advantage, CX for customer experience, the CX Advantage.com. 
Um, for those who are listening now, be sure to click like this podcast, hit the subscribe button below, and to see the video version of this interview and learn more about my speaking and my consulting, you can visit me online at visibilityinternational.com. You can also pick up a copy of my brand new book. Here it is for those who are watching the video version of this. It's called Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. It is in hardback, it is in Kindle, and it is in my voice on audible.com. James, thanks again. We will talk soon, friend. Speak soon. Take care. Thank you. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.